and welcome back to Speaking Kid. I'm your host, Nick Siegel, and every week I'm joined by guests to discuss parenting, early childhood education, and our own experiences parenting. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Speaking Kid. My name is Nick Siegel, and today I am thrilled to be looking across the table at one of my dearest friends whom I've known since 1986, Joe Hubbard. Joey is, as we affectionately call him, is uh, CTO of Thrive Global and is CEO of Insight Seminars. You're going to hear more of those two dynamics as you go through. Um, but Joey, briefly, just share with the listeners um, who you are, what your role is today, and uh, we'll go from there. It's good to be with you, my friend. Uh, you know, I so love you, and it's, it's you know it's just a pleasure to sit across from you and be talking about some of this stuff because we were what twenty six years old when we met each other, and so here we are. I probably was 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 twenty six years old. You may not have been twenty six. <laughs> I think it was twenty five. <laughs> yeah, so okay. not bad. All right, all right, we're close. Uh, yeah, so you know, my my roles now as the chief training officer at Thrive Global is really to drive our our curriculum to build relationships with our clients where we teach them how to take better care of themselves as a as an entity as a culture as an organization so uh, we have clients like accenture and microsoft and you know hsbc and all the big companies you know we we have uh, cisco and you know we're big 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 organizations that have asked us to come in and help them help their people which is what we do at, at insight uh as the ceo um, my role is really to support the organization in continuing to help others. Insight is an organization that uh, spends most of its time reaching out to people in need to support them in their transformations. And uh, so we, we help young people, we help adults just figure out, you know, what they want and how they want to get there and reminding them how they all have the same ability to uh, achieve whatever their intentions and purposes are in life. But we do our own stuff that gets in the way of that. And insight's really good at giving you the insight as to what it is that you're doing that's getting in the way. Mm. And so with our focus of speaking kid, you know, the, the question is asked in many different ways. How do we relate to our children more effectively so that they in turn relate back to us so that we have free flowing forms of trusted communication and techniques and skill sets to really enhance that, that fertile environment of communication. So, yeah. uh, 19 years old, you know, you, you've worked to get to where you are and to uh, the role you have and the consciousness that you have. Walk me through a 19-year-old kid. Yeah, so I actually was introduced to Insight when I was 17, and it started me on a journey of self-awareness. But at 19, I had this pretty significant awareness. I was playing football at UCLA, and I was watching people around me who were very successful and I wanted that success. Like that was my vision for myself to be successful. Grew up in South Central LA, single mother with three boys and very determined and driven to like create a successful story for ourselves. Right. So we're getting out of there and, and, you know, getting to UCLA was a great step along that road. Uh, and I had this moment, I was in a, a class with a bunch of, students that I you know, was comparing myself to and not feeling 
like I was as good as they were. And it was interesting because, you know, I had, again, I was producing success, but I had this mindset that came from, you know, how I had come out of this poor environment. I didn't have as much money as the kids around me. I didn't drive the cars that they were driving. I didn't have, you know, the clothes that they had. And so I remember just being in this sort of constant, you know, self degradation. Like I'm not as good as they are. I'm not as smart as they are. In the classrooms, I'd worry about making a mistake or even raising my hand in case I made a mistake. And it led to this moment when uh, a really dear friend of mine who you know, who was one of uh, all of our mentors, a guy named John Roger, uh, had said to me something like, you know, if you treated your friends the way you treat yourself, you'd have no friends. And it was a moment of recognition and like shock because I didn't realize the narrative I was saying to myself inside. And the narrative was, again, as I said, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not worthy of this scholarship at UCLA. I'm not worthy of this, right? And it was causing this mindset around my my lack, right? My my uh, lack of worthiness, my lack of value, you know, and that's what I was feeling internally. Out externally, if you looked at me, you'd say, hey, he's doing really well. But internally, I was having that dialogue. And it was such a strong moment for me to start to realize that for me to be able to have what I wanted in my life, I had to be okay with myself. Like I just had to learn how to say, I don't have to be a genius. I don't have to be perfect. I can be in what I call now developmental mindset that I'm going to constantly be learning and growing in this life. And that as long as I make that okay, then I can be more comfortable with saying to somebody, I have no idea what that word means, or I made a mistake on this. But when I was in that perfect mindset, I couldn't let anybody know I didn't know. I didn't, couldn't let anybody know I didn't have an answer. Right? I was always freaked out about people knowing what I didn't know. And then I became, as I started to do that, I became more comfortable in my own skin. And as I've kind of grown up through my life, I've learned over and over again, as I work with young people, all of them are in that process. You know, all of them go through the questioning of self. And I, all of my kids did. All of our kids will do that. You could have the perfect environment at home, but they go to school and have somebody say something to them or not treat them with kindness or equity or, or even value them. And you could see the impact that it may have on them, even though, again, they come home and you love them and they're being loved, but at school they're not or in their environment they're not. And so teaching our young people how to start to have self-efficacy, right? To, to believe in who they are, to not have to be perfect, to not live up to this standard or this ideal that we can sometimes see if we look at something on TV or look at something on social media for them is probably the most important thing we can do right now. But how do we, social media, let's, let's stay on that yeah. because that is that external influence of, that is the ultimate comparison landscape. Yeah. Well, I was sharing with you earlier, right? I got a reach out from a woman named Leslie Perlow, who's a professor at Harvard Business School, who said to me, help, you know, we have all of our young people used to walk into this classroom, Harvard Business School, feeling like there's nothing that could stop them, right? They're going to take over the world. She said, in the last four or five years, I've seen a huge shift where our young people aren't taking care of themselves, where they don't feel 
valuable, where they're doubting their self-confidence and self-esteem. And we started looking at the you know, source of that, and the source was social media. Because what we're seeing is kids are looking at social media two to three, maybe four hours a day. And as they look at things in their brain, if you have the mindset I had, you'd go, well, I don't have that. I don't look like that. I'm not doing that. And every time you do that, you're questioning or doubting your own value, which over time starts to erode your self-confidence and your self-esteem. And we're seeing the output of that and the mental health uh, increases we've seen with young people all over the country and with the challenges that Leslie was experiencing at, at, at Harvard Business School. So we just developed a class around starting to have young people focus on their efficacy, their value, their the the things that they bring to the table. And we asked them to start really looking at social media from a different lens. It's okay to enjoy social media, but if your mind is in constant comparison, it's it's really not a great place to be. And in the last year or so, we've seen some of the research that's come out that, you know, Instagram was hiding or, or Facebook was hiding around some of this data. But I will tell you, if you have a young person at home, start to build, you're not going to be able to stop them from watching or looking at social media. You don't even want to get into that game, but have them start to build awareness around what that is doing and how they need to be looking at it from the lens of that's, that's not, that's not me. I don't need to be comparing myself to that artificial means of how that's being put out right now. Most of it isn't real. It's more artificial than real. So that's the that's the baseline, right? Right. And then but so it's all energy, right? Yeah. I can focus it outward and then go into comparison or I can focus it somewhere else. And so where where you know, where do you tell them to focus it, Joe? So that's where a lot of the work at Insight has has been you know, again so beneficial for me, but for a lot of young people, which is we have them start to stop and recognize their value. So most of us will focus outward. It's just the the condition of the world. I look at things to evaluate. I listen to things to to learn and to understand, right? I feel things to know whether or not it feels right or doesn't feel right. But all those experiences, while they seem to be external, are really internal. We We can't really see outside. We see through the eidetic imagery in the back of our eyeball. Even, even seeing is an internal experience. So if we start to recognize that the way that we experience the world is really internal, and if we take charge of our internal landscape, now we have a different game we're playing. So what does that mean? It means, and, and I always say there's a differentiation from valuing self versus I'm the greatest, I'm the best, right? Valuing self is a is a more humble but solid position. I'm not trying to convince myself that I'm better than anyone else. I'm okay with who I am. So starting to create a space where it's not about comparison, it's not about anyone else, but it's I wake up every day going, what's my intention for the day? I want to have a day where I, I show up in a certain way, loving, caring, with my heart, you know, will I make mistakes today? Absolutely. Right. But that mistake is an action and insight. We make this differentiation between be, do, and have, and our powers in who we are, our being, right? So when we wake up with a, who I am as a 
a loving, I'm, I'm a little goofy sometimes, you know, but I'm, I'm going for it the best that I can. And, and I, I love people and I, I love doing this or I love doing that. And I'm going to be happy in my heart, regardless of whether I get to do that in the right way or not. That's a very different experience than if I do this, I'm valuable or if I have this, I'm valuable. And that's what social media does. It pulls us back into I have to do or have to be valuable. We say, flip it, turn inside. And we were talking before about the consciousness of gratitude and how and, and physiologically how that plays into uh, a, a redirection of energy. Yeah. No. So there's been recent studies. UCLA just had one. University of Texas at Austin, University of Michigan, and then the Swiss Center for Effective Science, all did research studies on gratitude and compassion. And what they found is that when you practice them just once a day over the course of seven days, it will change the neurology of your brain. You can see through what's called a functional MRI. Their fMRIs give you this HD scan of the brain. So they're looking at brains and they can see within a seven day period, the happy zone gets larger. And the gray matter, which is sort of the juice of the brain, the energy of the brain, gets thicker and stronger in just seven days of practicing gratitude. Over what period of time each day? Just once a day. For 10 minutes, 2 minutes, 30 seconds? Maybe just to have the gratitude experience. Mm. I'm grateful for the fact that I get to see my buddy Nick. Mm. That's it. If it's authentic, that's all that matters. So what we encourage parents to do, if I'm a parent right now, and I am a parent, but my kids are older, and I, I still... You've you got three kids. I, yeah, I got three. So I still try to get them in this. I'll say, text me something you're grateful for today, mm. right? And they'll send me a text. Now, that text they send me is actually doing more for their brain than it is for mine, right? But I'm not getting into all that with them. I just say, text me something grateful for. So if I'm a parent, you know, I would, I would have a for dinner, hey, everybody, what you're grateful for? Right. That's our that's our opening to dinner or before you go to bed tonight. Hey, before you go to sleep, sweetheart, tell me something that you're grateful for from the day. And they tell you now you leave their brain in a better place from that one moment before they go to sleep or before they you know engage in the world. In seven days straight of that, their brains are going to be better. So you don't even have to tell them the science behind it. You can even create gratitude jars, you know, and, and say, you know, if it's something you're grateful for, throw in the jar. We'll all read them on Sunday, you know, and together at dinner, we'll read them. Like create those kind of rituals and you'll find without having to tell them or getting into the why, they're going to change. Their brain will change. So that's the beauty of it. Hmm. Well, and it sounds like it's a technique that can be done on an individual level. If you don't have a Sunday dinner, if you don't have, if you're in an environment where you are on your own by yourself, you know, and, and so many of these kids are coming into that one environment called school where perhaps educators can start to adopt this process. Absolutely love that. At, in our class at Harvard Business School, uh, we had them start a gratitude journal. So they would write three things down they were grateful for before they went to bed. And that was their assignment. So seemingly simple, but at the end of the day, it was changing and transforming them. You mm. know? And I tell people, gratitude is something you can habit stack. If, so if you're by yourself, you go, I don't want a gratitude journal. Okay, every time you brush your teeth, think of what you're grateful for. Every time you wash your hands, think of what you're grateful for. So you, don't, you can do it while you're doing something else. Associate the two together, and every time you do that, you're doing gratitude. And again, the beauty of gratitude is it doesn't have to be this hugely significant thing. It can just be, hey, I'm grateful it's a nice day today. 
as long as it's authentically real for you, you're going to have that experience. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about it. You know, I'm, I'm such a fix it guy. You know, I want to, <laughs> I just want to, I, you know, from everybody that, that, doing it. <laughs> that loving, compassionate place, like, hey, do this stuff and it works. And then that's, that's outside in, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. we do things over and I do things over and over again because I have proof. Yeah. You know, that's proof right. positive that it yeah. works. And so I, I, I go, I'm just thinking this social media dynamic, you know, and I get sucked into it too. I, I don't even do much social media, but if, you know, I'll do a posting. How many people liked it? Yeah. And I go, wait a minute. I had 2,044 people, and now I have 243. Well, you know, I go from, uh, you know, fuck you to, <laughs> to where they go. Yeah. And I'm yeah. a 60 year old man. Yeah. What do I care about this stuff? But I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I start to go, what, where am I? I can, so I'm a microcosm of hours on this stuff. And, is there any 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 technique yeah. anything you're doing through Thrive to help kids to make that switch even in gratitude? Well, I, I will tell you. I mean, to be honest with you, I shut down my social media in March of 2020, not because of any grand gesture, but I was doing 10 webinars a day online, and so my brain when when it went over the social media wasn't getting a break, and we know the impact. There's a great. Uh, documentary uh, on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. A buddy of ours, Tristan Harris, uh, used to work at Google and kind of outed Google with some of its practices. But note that social media is designed to addict you. It's a design for you to have the experience you just had, you know, you talk, you described. And, and it's intentional. And so you have to recognize that if you're in it, you're going to get sucked into that dynamic. So for me, I just shut it all down. I just stopped looking at it. And I don't even know what's out there anymore on social media. Periodically, I'll look at my LinkedIn because my, my, the team at Thrive goes, Hey, look at your LinkedIn. You got a whole bunch of people who haven't, you haven't responded to. So the, you know, the easiest approach, obviously, is to say, well, I'm going to cut that back significantly. But the reality of it is it's the lens with which you look at it. Right. And so at least starting to trim back its influence or, or the part of you that has to be honest. I had a friend of mine, have a friend of mine who just, every time I see him, they're on, they can't, they can't let go of it. And it's become greater during the pandemic. Well, you, you've got a son who is, you know, creating commerce yeah. through social media and, yeah. and through his music world. And if you would just share a little bit about that and, and, how he then, because, you know, your son's a grounded guy. Yeah. And, but he, he's got to be dealing with those influences. Yeah. And so if you use it in the right way, then it's, it's, it's a great tool. Like I, someone would say to me, is social media bad or good? I go, social media is neutral. What we do with it can either be bad or good, right? And how it affects us can be bad or good. So for him, you know, he's created, you know, he just had a post I was telling you the other day at a million five uh likes and you know i don't know less than a day and this was a tiktok it was a tiktok yeah but he because he's a musician he's tying in that with how he's promoting his music but also his merchandise and so he's it's a great tool for him to be able to sell there are people making money who weren't making money before because of those social media you know utilizations so I don't have I don't I wouldn't say to people social media is bad. I would just say 
you want to create boundaries around social media. You want to ask yourself, what is right for me? Uh, the guy I was telling you about Tristan Harris, like he talks about just taking all of the off your front page, all any social media off that front page. So you have to scroll to get to it and maybe scroll a ways. So by the time you scroll three or four pages, you can start asking yourself, is this something I really want to do right now? Right. Even deleting it from your phone makes you have to reinstall it to look at it. That extra step can sometimes slow you down. Now, again, when you think about your young people, your young people are going to want that because it is it has been the way they have connected in a world where they weren't able to connect in two years which has affected them. We looked at a lot of research on this. Our young people probably got hit more by this pandemic than any other population. Why? Because the social element of their lives is so critical for them at these stages, whether they are, you know, kindergarten through college. So it has caused a lot more challenges, mental health challenges, because they haven't been able to connect. The saving grace has been social media for a lot of them. Or gaming, interesting enough, gaming, being able to connect through gaming has been huge. So I know a lot of parents probably said, I can't take it away from them because it's the only thing where they can talk to their friends. Now that we're coming back, you do want to still be thinking about boundaries. And we always say, Thrive, 30 minutes to an hour before bed, you want to shut down all of that. Because then their brain can produce melatonin. And one of the biggest challenges we're seeing with young people is they're not getting enough sleep. You can see that most of the, we call it bad behavior or bullying behavior, happens between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. On social media. On social media. So if they're not able to connect to social media from, let's say, a half hour, an hour before bed, where their brain then produces natural melatonin, that helps them sleep, get deep sleep, where they can't get online and 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 get into scenarios where they're you know being judged or fighting or whatever that stuff happens online that's going to make a big difference in the quality of their life just those two things alone why they'll sleep more and they won't be up late on social media you know with the things that happen at that time yeah and so the, the my yeah you know i have a, a negotiating mind right yeah. how do I, how do i get someone from a to b so if they're so addicted to that what have you guys discovered at thrive as ways to incentivize yeah kids for their own benefit you know so you got to have the bigger conversation right about the why uh, how sleep is so important for them. Seven to nine hours minimum, but most teens, it's, it's as much as 10 hours is what they need for their sleep. Uh, second, I've seen people say, you know, we're all going to do it together. So at this time, let's say nine o'clock, I'm, I'm giving you an arbitrary time. You decide in your house. We're all putting our phones here in this place to charge. Everybody, right? And there's no iPads or whatever in their rooms that they can get to. And that's just the way we're going to operate as a family. I know some homes shut down Wi-Fi. 10 p.m. Wi-Fi goes down. Uh, and that's for everybody in the house. So they don't have an option to get on after a certain time. So you can create some things, but you want to have the conversation, right? Because the addiction is strong. I mean, they, you know, we, we've seen, you know, huge blowups between parents and kids around trying to monitor and shut down social media. So the conversation, to your point, around all of it and the why behind it becomes really important. What have you found or techniques that, that can 
take a kid to because it's done out of love yes right we're doing this because we want our kids to have a a greater quality of of life and loving for themselves and their world and they're also going to be more productive they're going to do more of what they truly uh ideally are meant to do here yeah but what it's it's a tough one right as soon as i mandate something i've gone into an authoritarian kind of parenting style as opposed to what we've been promoting with so many of these conversations is this democratic approach yeah and i think part of the democracy here is to say i'm doing it too right because if i'm doing it on my own then you know it's 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 like you have to do it, but I don't, right? But if I'm doing it with you, then we're in this together. But the conversation about the why is so important. And if you aren't up to speed on the conversation about the why, as I said, watch The Social Dilemma, or we have lots of resources at Thrive. You're welcome to go online and, and, and source, you know, at our Thrive Global website about the why behind this. But the research is, and the data out there, the science is irrefutable. We know the need for sleep, recovery of the brain. Sleep is all about recovery of the brain. When our brain is well, the hippocampus, which is the emotional regulator, that's well. When kids, and you remember this, when kids didn't have enough sleep, how did they act? The same thing is true throughout the rest of our lives. So at this stage of their lives, they need good sleep. They need to eat well. They need to make sure they're exercising or moving consistently. When those things come out of their life, you're going to see their resilience go down significantly because those are all tied to the brain and the brain being at its best. There are two other areas that really drive their connection in the brain. One is time away from technology. Huge, hugely important. So really making sure that there are some boundaries around that. And again, keep having the conversation and negotiate. Like you don't have to be you know, a hard ass about it, but it's like, it's a Saturday. I want to look at stuff a little later. Okay, you can do that. But, you know, that's an exception. But we'll let you do it. You're in the middle of a game. Okay, yeah, great. So they, there's some give and take. But if you don't have it, there's no recovery time for their brain. And that makes a difference in their brain's ability to be at its best. And the last area is connection. Connection is a critical component to their brain being at its best. Harvard did a longevity study, still going on, started in 1938. The number one factor for longevity and happiness was positive relationships. The number one factor. And it's been that way since 1938. Keep finding the same answer. But our kids are a little more isolated over the last two years. And they may not have enough of those going on in their lives. So encouraging them and even if they're introverts introverts need you know less dopamine than the rest of us a little dopamine goes a long way for an introvert you know so so you know one or two friends can be huge for them but don't let your introvert be by themselves because what we're seeing the connection between lack of positive experiences in their life and then the bad behavior you see with young people uh it's striking it's striking so really important does does you know two actions you know creativity expression from that perspective and uh, ambition mm. you know for, for someone who's just coming out into the world any any 
research thoughts, studies on either of those dynamics to to have kids work towards those dynamics and away from social media, those distractions? Well, some people will tell you that um, that some kids would be motivated by social media where they would see he's doing that or she's doing that. I want to do that. And it can spark some ambition and some motivation and even some creativity around stuff that they could do that they hadn't been doing before. Those are the positives of social media, right? That it could get you going a little bit. Uh, and, and social media, I'm, I'm calling broadly, even the internet, right, can help you in that particular process. But what we are seeing is when you think about the combination of finding oneself, right, as our young people are all doing, uh, we do know that there is a, an elevated EQ amongst this group of next gen, which is really, you know, that, that next group coming and then that well, emotional intelligence. Yeah. That they, that they are, uh, they're looking for different things. So one thing to note is when you think how you grew up and what you may be motivated by, they aren't motivated by the same thing. We saw some research that said that the number one motivator for young people in the jobs that they have is flexibility, right? They want flexibility and they want great working conditions way over benefits and salary where a generation, you know, even millennials started in that process of switch switching over where for us it was, well, what's the salary? What are my benefits? The first two questions you ask, you didn't ask about the work environment or how nice my boss was or any of those things. They want quality. And so you have to understand with your young people as you're saying to them, you know, where do you want to go to school? And they say, I want to go to school at this school versus the school you think may be the best school for them. You, you, you got to recognize they have a different motivation and their drive is based on maybe even a different passion. They're more interested in changing the world. They're more interested in making the world a better place, equity, yeah, those kinds of things. We weren't thinking about all that. We we're thinking, hey, you know, let me make some good money. And then later on in my life, I can do some of that. But I got to make my money first, right? So it's a very different mindset in these young people. And what's happening is in this particular time period, because it is a, a talent-rich market, that you're seeing them go into an organization, look around for a few months, see it's not right for them, and leave. We went to an organization. We, we were planning on being there for years. That was just the, the way we thought. They're not willing to put years into a bad spot for them. So we have to just recognize our kids are a little bit different than the way we think. So frustration around the fact that your kids changed jobs three times in the last few years, just know that's normal. Hmm. Yeah, so much of you know, when, I, when I get into a trap with either my older kids or Lily at three and a half, is when I start making assumptions of how I think what's best for them. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got some experience on this. You want to, you know, I, I got this. I've been there. I got, let me save you the bumps. Yeah. They got to have the bumps. They want the bumps. They, yeah. They want the bumps. If you could, you could offer, you know, do you want to go this road, smooth, easy, get you there faster, or do you want to go this bumpy road that you had the idea to go on, but I can give you the shortcut. No, no, no I, I want my road. And we got to be okay with it. I imagine we probably wanted the bumpy road ourselves. I can't remember if I was, if I was truly 
like in a place where I was saying, no, I want bumpy because I want to do it my way versus your way. I don't remember if I had that, but you know, I'm, and I, and I'm very respectful of, you know, I was telling you, Luke decided to change how he was doing his music career and to the consternation of some very senior people at, at Sony RCA. And I just said, my part, part of me said, why not do it the traditional way that they're recommending and listening to him? I said, he's got this, he's got a plan. Let me get out of the way. It's different than I probably would have done it, but I love his plan. And as you see it manifesting, you go, Oh, okay. My oldest son's, you know, living, Ben is living in Japan, wanted to go to Japan to write his novels and work as a, you know, teaching English. It's like, I don't know if I would have thought of that. Right. But he's met, you know, maybe his, his future wife and he's, uh, very happy and, and was able to write four novels, right? So we have to just keep getting out of the way, even though we think we know. So does the question become, what makes you happy? In, in, in many respects, right? What makes you happy? What makes you fulfilled? Fulfilled, yeah, maybe that's a better way. of It's, it's richer. It's, it's, it's richer and it's more inclusive, right? Because... Because I may not always be happy with what's fulfilling me because it's more of a challenge, right? It's more of a, of I got to go through some stuff to get there. But when I do get there, I feel great about that journey. So I, I say to them all the time, make sure this is going to fulfill you. You know, because if you say, hey, will this make me happy? Well, it could periodically make you happy. But then if happiness is your goal, right, it's easy right happiness is an easy goal right i go hang out under a mango tree right and and chill you'll you'll be happy until you're bored out of your mind because you're not fulfilled right right so you need the fulfillment which doesn't mean that the road is smooth it doesn't mean that you have to have happiness every day yeah it doesn't mean there aren't challenges but fulfillment gives you the okay i'm getting the juice of life whatever that may mean for me and it's different for everybody right yeah, what's I'm just imagining you being one of my kids across the table, and, <laughs> and they tell me something, and just a simple question of why is that important to you, mm-hmm. you know, and tell me how that that fulfills you. Yeah, I mean those are great reference points only for my education, but also for them to consider too, because maybe that may take them into a deeper cut of what they're doing. Exactly, or. If it is, and for a lot of kids, because this is a back to social media, they see something, they get inspired by it. It's a great fantasy. Okay, what's the fulfillment? I don't know if it's fulfilling. It just seemed like pretty cool that they were hang gliding in Costa Rica. And I thought, that's a great job. I want to teach hang gliding in Costa Rica. It's like, well, is that going to really fulfill you? All right, so, so you get them out of fantasy and bring them into reality with that question. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm so fortunate that I have Lily to do it over again because <laughs> I just keep thinking back to all the ways I screwed it up on the first time around. We all do, right? Daily, you know, probably on some level. And trust me, you, you'll screw it up with Lily too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a very good point. I shouldn't, I shouldn't give myself absolution just yet. But you learn some things, right? And like, cause I, cause you know, by the time Savannah came along, you know, I was, I was better at it. Right. And, uh, and also she was your daughter. 
Yeah, well, that that shifts the energy quite a bit, right? In terms of, in ter- you know, I'm I'm I got I moved more into Jay. You got the discipline on this one. You know, it's not it's, there's there's not not a whole lot of discipline going to come from me hmm. on this. You know, she she asked, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, you know, at 24, 25, right. she's still getting it. You know, right. And w- the dynamic between you and Jay, you know, parenting styles, and uh, has, has that has that always been consistent? Has there been no, 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 no major like you know maybe once in a while maybe d- would have done it a little bit differently kind of thing, but the the kids only saw one view on that, right? Whatever the view was that was communicated, whether she got to it first or I got to it first, that was the view that the, you know there wasn't ever a a backdoor scenario there. That was the biggest thing for us. And I, I think that was one thing that JR talked to us about before he got married. It's like, Hey, you know, whatever you, whatever you do, be aligned with them. Right. And if you have a disagreement, you know, take it off to the side and talk about it, you know, and, and there's probably a few times even where we took it off to the side, talked about it, came back and said, Hey, we talked about this together and said, okay, maybe we'll do this a little differently. Right. Maybe you can go to that party. Right. Or something like that. But there was no major, you know, disagreement around that. And, you know, 32 years later of marriage, we figured it out in some respects. But uh, now it's more we get to we just get to watch them do their thing, you know, and and explore their world. Uh, when Ariana came to me and said, hey, will you will you do this? Part of my brain was like, oh, I'm kind of ready to watch my kids do their thing. And she's like, no, I started up in your post when I was your age, dude. Get off your ass. Let's get going. And, and it was, you know, one of the best things I could have done. Uh, the joy of working with people. And, and even today, we were talking to the Secretary of Labor and his team. And he's talking about the, you know, the differences that he wants to make in, you know, labor across the country. And we were talking a lot about young people. They have a couple of youth initiatives in the Job Corps is the thing he was talking about today. And he said, you know, we lost so many people through the pandemic, all these young people through through pandemic that we don't have. We used to have 36,000 people in Job Corps, and now it's much, much less. And we said, well, let's let, we want to step in, and we want to help you teach these young people the mindset that helps them retain jobs and get jobs in the first place and know that they're worthy and valuable of those jobs. Because I was one of those kids that could have gotten a job and didn't feel valuable and worthy enough to to get that kind of a job or keep that kind of a job. So it's been a, that part of my career now is really fulfilling Mm. and working at the highest level, right. And and dealing with the federal government. I mean, you can present, do they have the, the, the authority to take your programs and put them to work? Oh yeah. And that's what they're doing. I mean, what they're really figuring out, because, you know, he was very honest about, hey, this program is not what it needs to be. And you hadn't created that program. Their, their Job Corps program. Right. It's, it was around, but it has been de- deleted. I mean, excuse me, uh, diffused quite a bit through the pandemic and just, you know, through the previous administration just wasn't a lot of energy effort put into it. So it is not what it once was. And so they want to rebuild that back up. So it's very, very committed to it, but also committed to using people like us to help bring in the mindset piece. They can do the structure. They're funding it. So the money's there. It's more about 
making a program that's sticky, right? That people actually get value from. And at the end of the day, does it always come down to individual self-esteem that then is that, is that the driving message? Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, it's knowing your individual value, not from an ego perspective, but that you belong, right? Anybody who has the sense that I belong is going to show up at their best. As soon as you have that feeling, so if you create a world where these young kids from very challenging scenarios or any anybody, regardless, Harvard Business School, USC, doesn't matter where we are, that they all have the sense that I belong where I am, you will see them show up at their best. Right. That's the differentiation. And when we feel like we belong, we know that we're valuable, we're worthy, we, we, we're equal to the group we're in, right? that we're safe. I mean, all those are a byproduct of the sensation that I belong here, the, the awareness. And that's the core of the work that we want people to experience. And where do you, when I don't feel I belong, where do you meet me to get me to make that transition? Well, that's, the, that's always the question when people say I don't belong. It's like, why? And then there are about seven or eight mindsets I see show up out of that. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not safe. I'm not valuable. I'm not important, right? Uh, I'm, I don't deserve this. No matter what I do, it's never enough. And I'm not good enough is probably at the core of all of it. And I'm unlovable. Those are simple. I, I could probably, in the 30 years I've been doing that work, I could synthesize it down to those things. And, and very rarely does it get outside that box. And people go, well, no, for me, it's just that I'm not smart enough. And I go, yeah, okay, why? And then you'll go, uh, because, uh, well, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm good enough. It's like, yeah. That, so there's, there's iterations on it, but at the core, I gave you sort of the core baseline. That's what, and by the way, that's called the human dilemma. But those get really formulated in strong ways through our, our, our youth. So if we can if we can help youth switch that, you'll see a different output. When you go into prisons, you know, I've done work with young people in prisons. When you go into prisons and you ask them why they did what they did, it matches who they thought they are. Yeah, I believe I'm not good enough or smart enough. And so that's why I'm here, right? I believe I'm not worthy. So that's why I'm here. And so they don't even, they, the reason they don't feel that bad about what they did is because they're matching what they believe, right? As soon as you, as soon as you believe you're better than that, now you start to feel bad. So getting people to shift how they believe about themselves shifts behavior. Mm. Are you doing any prison work through Thrive? Is, is that part of the equation? We did. Yeah. We did some work in the women's prison system and we've talked a lot, uh, Stedman, uh, Graham and I've talked a lot about the work he's doing in prisons and really partnering up and doing more work in some of the other prison systems around the country. But we've, we've been helping in a pr women's prison system. Hmm. So are our youth okay? Are they going to make it? <laughs> <laughs> the next generation. I was watching uh, something the other day where I was showing American bands, American bandstand. And then uh, uh, the, the, the parents who were so upset and, and crazed about, the fact that their kids are doing that. And there's a new movie coming out about Elvis about and, and how everybody thought youth was gone, youth was lost. Uh, Beatles came and they thought they were more, even more lost. And uh, 
So the the every generation, you're go, we're gonna we're gonna wonder, are they gonna make it? And uh, we're here, you know, and and they will be too. The thing that you know we have to do is is do our best to give them the runway, so they can take off and be even better than we were. Right. That's that's really the the ideal scenario. So uh, my my passion, you know, as, as you know, is is that our young people wake up to the value and the realization that they have a lot to contribute, right? And they're not alone in it. And if they're willing to go for it, they can have whatever success they want, you know? Well, that's a, a beautiful punctuation. Uh, Joey, I so appreciate it. I, I applaud all the incredible work you're doing with Thrive and, and of course, with Insight. And you are a demonstration of ministry uh, and to to your peers and, and to our youth. And I, I just have such great appreciation, respect for you and love. I love you, buddy. We've, we've been doing this a long time. Man. We'll keep going. We got more to do. More to do. All right. Everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, Joey Hubbard. And if you want more information about how to reach Joey and, and the great work he's doing, just you'll find it on the website. Thank you all for listening, everybody. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode today, you can find out more about me and the work I do, along with my guests, at nicksegal.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.